Hello, and welcome to Energy Levelized. I'm Morgan. And I'm Bill, and we're your hosts. Energy Levelized is a glimpse behind the scenes, a chance to hear from the passionate personalities behind the mountains of research the Enverse Intelligence team puts out on the energy space. For those that aren't familiar with Enveris, we're an energy SaaS firm that is influencing the world's most important energy decisions by connecting an industry through intelligence, data analytics, and smart network technologies. We invite you to join us as we have fun, unscripted, and honest conversations tackling the toughest questions in energy. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Energy Levelized, a special Enveris podcast. Bill and I are joined today by Nick Volkmer for a discussion on high energy prices and what this means for ESG initiatives. Nick leads Inveris's ESG efforts, helping the energy industry navigate the evolving market landscape. Nick joined Inveris, uh, which was in those days ITG back in 2015, uh, and initially focused on onshore U.S. asset valuation and optimization, leading the Gulf Coast research team. Nick graduated from Queen's University with a degree in engineering chemistry and earned his CFA charter in 2019. And I'm very happy to say he is currently based in Sydney, Australia. Welcome, Nick. This is a fascinating uh, subject and it's new to quite a lot of people. So let's get straight into it. Um, Why don't we start off by setting the table? Give us a sort of a, a background on what ESG encompasses um, and in terms of your role um, leading the Enverus charge on, on ESG, what, what, what are your priorities in terms of that broader uh, coverage space? Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Morgan. And just want to say I really appreciate you two having me on today. Um, love the uh, the international conversation we're having right now. Um, <laughs> I'm jealous so I'm just... not in Australia, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely nice. You guys are going to your summer, which is awesome. Um, so for those unfamiliar, ESG, it stands for Environmental Social Governance. And really what um, what it is, is it's, it's a bit of a measure on a company's overall operational practices. Um, and I think that we've seen such a big growth in that over the last little while. Um, given the uh, the the global commitments around things like decarbonization and really what it's um, shining a light on is kind of a, a, a bigger focus on companies' operational practices, uh, which historically had been relatively opaque. Uh, but what we're finding now is that there's actually really strong data and analytics available to be able to kind of measure a company's um, operational practices, um, and it's coming in that measurement is um, a criteria being applied throughout the investment process. Um, so that's one of the you know kind of the main reasons that ESG has grown over the last little while, and I think that some of the recent geopolitical events have really shined a spotlight on it, and um, and have have introduced some really interesting questions. Nick, Nick, I just I'm fascinated by I, I know you can measure a lot of the environmental um, issues around ESG, but but how do you go about measuring some of the social and, and the governance uh, elements to the to the package? Yeah, absolutely. So the social and governance, like the, like um, there's a, a few different ways that you could look at that. The way that we measure it on the social side is predominantly on things like um, a company's safety practices, on their diversity, on their uh, their um, employees' um, demography, 
and things of that nature, like kind of what are they doing within the areas that they operate in um, on a governance side. Um, there's a number of different ways you can measure that. Some of the, the things that we focus on is the way try, we try to get into management's head and um, see what's incentivizing management teams. And based off that, you could understand um, how different companies are going to react in different situations. Um, you could look at the way that the board thinks too. Um, so based off different metrics that we pull on board composition, again, you could understand essentially the practices that these companies use to govern their companies. Um, one thing that I think was probably overlooked um, in the ESG world up until recently, um, uh, and we're seeing a lot of re-ratings happening across the board, was the um, kind of the impact of where where these companies are operating. Um, so I think that that's something that we could get into here in a bit is the way that um, you know, Russia was measured in the ESG world and, and you know, it was obviously in hindsight wasn't the uh, um, probably wasn't the best way to, to, to think about things. Um, but it, th those are kind of the the ways that uh, we measure social and governance. Environmental is probably a little bit more straightforward. Things like emissions, like um, how many emissions are you uh, producing per barrel produced? What's your oil spill rate? Uh, you know, how much gas are you flaring? What's your methane leakage rate? Things of that nature. That one I'd say there's probably a little bit more consensus on. Social and governance are ones that we're, we know we're taking a very energy focused approach on. Yeah, you, you kind of read my mind where I wanted to go next with this is, you know, how has ESG evolved uh, just given the recent geopolitical events? Um, you mentioned Russia, but yeah, let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I think what we've seen is a premium being put on uh, North American um, or I guess Western oil and gas uh, because the the importance of governance um, has has shot up quite dramatically uh, where I think prior to it, it was, it was very much an e-focused conversation or an environmental focused conversation. So the region that uh, those uh, either barrels of oils or MCF of gas are being produced in um, is much more important now. And, you know, we kind of thought that this was going to happen based off the environmental practices of North America, uh, which were, you know, kind of uh, uh, shooting ahead of certain areas. But this has accelerated that to a, to a pretty large degree. And, you know, when you start and what, what that allows for um, is a much bigger political will to produce hydrocarbons within North America, which was something that. Um, was, was always a bit of a headwind to the industry. You, can, you know, you could look at Canada as a good example where, um, you know, it was always difficult to uh, develop the industry uh, d because a lot of in large infrastructure projects were, were, were often blocked. Um, but now what we're seeing is, um, you know, a much bigger premium for those Western barrels, which is a bit of a re-rate. And um, it's going to, I think we think that that is only going to work for the industry if they, you know, if if in turn there's a um, improvement on that environmental side of things, which we are, I, I think, seeing broadly in the, in the industry, but there's still a bit of a ways to go there. Yeah, I it, it's 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 interesting just thinking about it in terms of the Russian context. Um, you know, the European Union has proposed a, a ban on um, European crude, uh, sorry, Russian crude and and products by the end of this year. Um, and I, I was kind of wondering whether, you know, if there is an actual shortage of, of liquids, 
that actually maybe some of these ESG standards get slightly dropped for a period of time while, you know, while the urgency of actually just making sure that the lights stay on in terms of gas or or that, you know, we have sufficient diesel and gasoline um, for, for transportation is, is, is actually the top priority. I mean, do you think that there's any any risk that that ESG kind of gets overlooked or, or sidestepped somewhat in, in, in the short term as an emergency measure, maybe? Yeah, like I think that when we look at um, any population's priorities, I think that number one is always going to be energy reliance. Um, that's always going to come first. And with this Russian conflict, it's introduced a lot of really fascinating questions. So things like, um, you know, should uh, a country like Germany fire up more of its coal plants to limit its natural gas use? Is that an ESG-friendly policy? Um, where, you know, six months ago it would have been a hard no, but now it, you know, it, I think that it's uh, much more um, in favor to to answer that with a yes. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, I think that, you know, when, and this is like an important point with all of ESG, like it's never, you know, it's not the be all end all by any means. Um, like what's changed is that it's a, a component of the decision process now. Um, it's obviously not going to be, um, uh, you know, the the only one in a lot of cases, economics and a lot of other things are going to drive that. Um, it's more um, the way we think about it. Is it's a it's a pillar now. Right. So when making that decision, it's going to be a criteria that's assessed. Um, ultimately, though, if you're a government and um, you're like you're one of your number one priorities is providing energy reliability and energy stability to your population. Um, so in that case, I, you know, you could definitely see some of these ESG factors that would have been really important six months ago, you know, might be, I wouldn't call them pushed to the side for a little bit, but uh, maybe de-emphasized is a, is a yeah. bit of a better way of thinking about it. Sure. So um, just given the, the push away from Russia being one of the key energy players or oil suppliers. Um, this is leading to you know, energy shortages, uh, spike in oil prices, energy prices. Um, how is this you know, affecting the domestic narrative for ESG? I mean, we you touched on a bit on how it's playing, always going to play an element in these investment decisions, but I guess from, yeah, touch on that maybe a little bit, a little bit more. Um, so a big place is, um, I, I mentioned this briefly, but it's a bit, we've seen a bit of a shift in the, the political will for domestic energy in North America over the last few months. Um, particularly in the U.S., there's a much bigger willingness now to fast track some LNG facilities. Um, right now, we're already operating close to uh, peak LNG capacity across the uh, across the, the continent. Um, so bringing on more projects, um, you know, will be a bit of a, a demand boost for the domestic industry. Um, but that was something that I don't think was widely discussed in the public. Um, you had some, um, a lot of um, a pretty big corporate push from certain industry participants. Like I think EQT is a really good example. They have a, a great uh, public presentation uh, that I suggest everyone go uh, go look up just on the ability to supply the globe with uh, North American gas uh, through a, a, a larger LNG um, program. Um, so that's definitely one thing that, that we've seen. 
Um, also, I think domestically in Canada too, there's been a bit of a shift. We we released uh, some research uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, looking at CCUS capacity. Um, and one thing that, that that is interesting is Alberta has a really big focus on that right now, um, especially some oil sands operators and um, if some of the projects that are announced to actually get built um, there could be a case where uh, Canada actually becomes greenhouse gas um, equivalent to, to, to um, other jurisdictions where it was always a bit of a lagger uh, laggard um, so that is something that we've seen as a whole so I think that um, for a while there was a lot of pressure on the domestic industry um, and what these recent events are are highlighting is the the benefit you know when when the u.s is able to very quickly um shut down its its uh its its foreign purchases of russian oil um well big reason it could do that in europe can't is because that there's a a pretty material and pretty massive and almost uh nearly self-sufficient domestic um industry um so i think that the these new events are highlighting the benefit of that and in turn um to you know i think materially change the narrative the domestic companies are uh, need to continue pushing on some of these um you know kind of esg or regionally beneficial uh policies yeah i was uh, i was wondering you know in this time of, of heightened cost uh, cost uh, escalation and, and general inflation that we're facing and that's already challenging some of the operations that we see in in the upstream sector um do you do you see that i don't want to sound negative all the time but is esg contributing to those those those, that cost uh inflation and and some of those elevated sort of overheads that that many of these uh, operators are facing it's a it's a question we commonly get asked um it's in an oil and gas company's operation side we don't really see it as that inflationary um a lot like when we when you look at the stack of ways to lower um kind of an overall country's carbon usage especially in north america some of the cheapest and most cost effective ways of doing that fall within um the energy industry and fall within you know different um operational efficiency gains um and, and things of that nature um, so when you look at some of these impactful changes like eliminate, uh, eliminating flaring, limiting methane leakage rates, things of that nature, um, those actually become very cost competitive when you're operating in an environment like we are today where Henry Hub's trading at you know near decade highs, if not at decade highs, um, as opposed to in 2019 where a lot of gas was you know two dollars an MCF or in some cases like in the Permian might even be negative right it completely changes that economic consideration and when you look at the reality um, about two-thirds of the 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 industry's emissions come either from methane leakage or from flaring um, so eliminating that um, uh, is a massive net benefit on a company's ESG footprint and um, under today's environment actually is uh, kind of a net benefit to the to the supply conversation and we don't see that as being inflationary now that said there's definitely certain aspects that um, will start to impact the cost of things right like if you think about carbon capture and storage um, although it can be economic to run those projects when you 
have a, a cost of carbon and things of that nature, um, it definitely isn't going to lower the cost of energy. Um, some of these other initiatives that, that we look at as well, things like renewable natural gas, and um, uh, which is natural gas uh, produced from like landfills or uh, large um, agricultural farms from the manure. Um, although that can be have a very strong carbon benefit, um, that might not, you know, that might add to some of the the inflationary pressures. Overall, though, that's a small piece of the puzzle relative to operational efficiencies today. And for the most part, we, you know, we like we, when we look at the cost of some of these companies' ESG programs, which are having pretty material. Um, you know, like million, five million uh, metric tons a year of carbon dioxide equivalent savings. Um, it's in the order of you know ten to twenty million dollars in in total capital relative to uh, you know free cash flow yields of billion to two billion dollars for for some of the companies we analyze. So it's not you know it's not we don't see it as breaking the bank by any means. We see it as good business today. That's really interesting. I think that's probably one of the more common misconceptions when people think about implementing ESG initiatives, with at least within the upstream oil and gas space. Um, maybe just one more question. We're running up on time here, but to finish it off, I guess, is this true, like the cost efficiency piece, is this true for all forms of energy or is it really just related to upstream oil and gas? Yeah, it's it's um, probably more so related to upstream oil and gas. Um, I think that efficiencies are always one of the most cost-effective ways of improving the system. Um, but there's different forms of energy where that equation might be skewed a little bit. Um, you know, I think that a good like a good example right there is is, is renewable natural gas um, or things of that nature where um, you start and. Um, you start entering the question of economically competitive relative to carbon competitiveness. And I think that that's a, a fascinating uh, conversation that, you know, we could probably dissect in a, in a, in a future podcast. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. The, um, you know, ESG's clearly had a lot of momentum um, in, in these last few years building into this, this geopolitical situation we're in now with the Ukraine war. Um, and and that has added extra fuel on the fire, if you like, uh, behind some of these initiatives. And so thanks very much for walking us through all of that today and giving us a, a sense of, of, of the directionality of it all and, and, and the diversity of it all as well. Um, if you want to continue this conversation and learn more about Enveris' ESG insights, uh, please contact the team. Um, we're always keen to talk to anybody who has an interest in these things. Um, and I just want to say, finally, thank you very much to Nick and to Morgan, as always. Um, it's great to have you on, Nick, and uh, it's been a great discussion today. Awesome. Thanks, Morgan. Thanks, Thanks Bill. Guys. This podcast was recorded on Thursday, May 5th, 2022. Inveris Intelligence Research Incorporated provides leading energy industry research and is a subsidiary of Inveris, the largest SaaS company in the world solely dedicated to the energy market. Therefore, any company mentioned in this podcast may be a subscriber or client of Inveris Intelligence Research, Inveris, or their affiliates. However, any views expressed in this podcast accurately reflect the speaker's personal views about any subject securities referenced. The information contained in this recording is provided for information purposes only and is not to be used or considered as investment advice or recommendation or offer to buy, hold, or sell any securities or other financial instruments. Please visit www.inveris.com disclosures for additional information.